this week on the Back Table Podcast. Yeah, so Aaron, so I have a sweet southern draw, huh? More with Dr. Peter Bream and Dr. Aaron Brandis this week, part two of our podcast on TDCs. Peter brings up multiple very good points about why it is, it does seem that it is better for the patient uh, in comparison to kind of the normal integrate approach. And so if I, th- I can find I think Aaron, a retrograde kit. Yeah, no, I think, Aaron, what you need to do is you need to uh, plan a trip to Nash Vegas. And I'll take you honky tonkin, and we'll do some retrograde catheters together. If and if can, that's the thing that's I happening, can visit, uh, I just, if, I just yeah. request that I can be there, and that we could do a live episode of the Back Table Podcast while that's let's, happening. Let's do it. Absolutely, okay. oh, yeah, for sure. So we get into split tip versus metric catheters. There are pros and cons. Retrograde versus antigrade placement as well. A little bit about longevity as far as the uh, antimicrobials and whether they have any uh, impact on infection rates and uh, the performance of catheters at dialysis. To kick us off, here's Dr. Peter Bream. Hey, Aaron, do you place um, antigrade tunnel or retrograde tunnel? I place antigrade tunnel. Um, okay. And actually, I've never seen a retrograde tunnel uh, catheter place. So I'd be interested really? to hear about that. Oh, wow. Okay, good. Yeah, I've placed nothing but retrograde for the past 15 years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is there now, a, I, place, a, oh. I, I place antigrades when I have to put Hickman's and uh, trifusions and things like that. But when I'm dealing with the dialysis catheter, I, um, <clears throat> uh, I, I've placed, I actually placed the, uh, uh, the arrow, the uh, cannon, and the um, vector flow. Those are my two catheters that I place, and b- both of them retrograde. Be interested to hear why why you prefer uh, the retrograde approach. Well, I, I think that um, before uh, you take on the uh, somewhat extra work to do a retrograde tunnel, um, you have to buy into a couple of principles, uh, and the first principle is tip location. You have to be passionate about the tip and where it is in the right atrium um, because if you are passionate about having a consistent tip location, then it makes the most sense to put the tip in first and then you can create your tunnel and you don't have to worry about trying to advance the catheter through the tunnel afterwards or pull back through the catheter afterwards. So, uh, uh, if, if you feel like most catheters work well, whether they're in the upper SVC or lower SVC or right atrium, then it doesn't make sense to do, um, a little bit of extra work with, uh, the retrograde tunnel. But, um, when I've talked about this in the past and I gave a talk at SIR this past year on basic venous access, if you buy into the fact that you need to have a consistent, tip location to get the optimum performance from a dialysis catheter. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there are guidelines or the Kadoki guidelines that talk about this. Uh, then, uh, the way that I place these, I get access to the internal jugular vein and I use a dilator from cook called the cope transitional dilator. This is a uh, 6.3 French dilator that transitions from an 018 system to a 035 system. 
It comes with a nice stainless steel wire that has a very radio opaque tip. So you can see it when you're measuring your, your wire. And it has another couple of features that are nice about it. Um, one is that this dilator is about 25 centimeters long. And the first thing that I do when I uh, start to place a catheter is I will mark from the tip of the dilator 15 centimeters back and 19 centimeters back. And I'll use a marker pen and actually mark on the dilator those two distances. And the reason I'm doing that is that if I find that my entry site to right atrium distance is less than 15 centimeters, then I'm going to place a 19 centimeter tip to cuff uh, catheter. And if it's between 15 and 19, I'm going to place a 23. And if it's greater than 19, I'm going to place a um, 27. So uh, initially what I can do is instead of having to worry about exactly measuring out so that my tunnel is uh, measured out ahead of time, I just place that dilator in, look under fluoro, and find exactly where the right atrial, um, the cavoatrial junction is, and measure that distance. And if I can see two markers, I know to place a 19 centimeter catheter. If I only see one marker, then I place a 23 centimeter. And then if I don't see any, I place a 27. Um, I then quickly transition uh, while my tech gets the catheter ready, put the 035 wire that comes in the kit uh, through the dilator. And the other thing that's nice about this is sometimes it's difficult to get the wire to go all the way down into the IVC. And I think it's very important that you place the wire into the IVC so that you're not in the azagous vein um, and you don't cause any ectopy while you're placing your uh, your wire, uh, if the wire's going in and out while you're dilating. And the way that the COPE transitional dilator is designed, there's a side hole that the J wire comes out of. And if you twist the COPE transitional dilator, it actually acts sort of like an angled catheter. It'll angle the wire in, a su- in such a way so that you can um, have some directability when you're pu- putting the wire down into the uh, IVC. And then from there, you place the catheter, you get it exactly where you want it. You fold it over on the clavicle, over the clavicle on the skin. You find where the exit site is marked. You numb. You make a small incision. And what's nice about these is that this incision that you make for the exit site only has to be the size of the catheter. You don't have to put the um, you don't have to put the uh, cuff through there, so you don't have to make it large. And uh, you you dilate from you you take your tunneling device from the exit site up to the neck. You attach the catheter to it and pull it down through. Um, you then cut it and and add the hubs. So that's the basic way of doing it. Um, the advantages I saw I see are one less measuring. I just explained why you don't have to do the, measure the tunnel. Uh, the the smaller chest incision is really nice because you can actually make it very small and make the skin very tight around the catheter, which reduces the amount of bleeding that you might have afterwards if if they have uh, dysfunctional uremic platelets um, or even anticoagulation on board. Um, and plus, it's less likely to pull out because the cuff never goes through that exit site. 
um, the cuff is always going to be two centimeters from the exit site if you do it this way. So you never have to do a cut down when you're removing the catheter either. Um, and then the final thing is that if you have somebody that has a broken hub or a cracked hub, uh, when they come in, we just cut the tip off and add a new uh, hub to it. We don't have to exchange the whole catheter. So um, it really, uh, uh, once you once you get used to doing it, for in, in my practice, I have found it to be um, a great way to do consistently well done uh, dialysis catheters. And did you did you cover already, Peter? Why you think <clears throat> so? Why can you clarify why you feel retrograde is advantageous for there are a lot of those out there that maybe haven't even placed one retrograde since fellowship, um, maybe some of them under you. Um, and so, <laughs> um, you know, why, you know, why would, um, you know, for them at this point, antigrade might be faster and easier, but, but I'd love to hear the other side of that. Well, I think all of those little advantages that I just talked about, um, where you, um, again, you have to buy into the fact that you uh, don't mind having your, or, or you have to buy into the fact that the cuff, um, you want to have a, a consistent cuff location. You want to buy into the fact that you have a um, catheter that where the tip is in the right atrium at all times and positioned correctly before you even do a tunnel. Um, if you if you subscribe to those, the the retrograde allows you um, to get a very precise placement, especially from the left side. Okay. I, I find that most people who place antigrades from the left side tend to leave them too short, um, whereas. And it can be also difficult to place it over a wire from the left side. If you um, are using a retrograde system and you already have the wire down into the IVC, you can actually place the catheter over the wire through the peel-away sheath, pull the peel-away sheath away and the wire away, and you don't have to worry about navigating from the left side. So there, there are a lot of advantages I see in doing it um, in, from the, in, uh, with the retrograde. Have you- have you used the retrograde vector flow or only, I think you said Canon and uh, the palindrome? I have used the Canon, the palindrome and the vector flow retrograde, all three. Okay. And, and um, yeah, go ahead. I actually have on my shelf uh, currently the, the vector flow and the um, Canon as my initial placement catheters now. Um, and the, one of the reasons is, is because they use the exact same retrograde kit. So when I'm teaching a fellow, I don't have to teach two different ways of, of doing um, uh, uh, connecting the catheter and things like that. Now, Dr. Brandis, you feel pretty strongly about the vector flow. Um, I think maybe that was developed at Penn. Um, talk about what some of the, you know, talk about the vector flow a little bit. And I think some of the folks might be interested to hear what, some, what the hoopla is about with the vector flow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So a uh, little disclaimer. Um, it's actually called the Aero Clark Vector Flow Catheter, and I ah. spend uh, about uh, 75% of my time working directly with Dr. Clark, who uh, developed the catheter. So um, although I don't have any uh, financial incentives within the, uh, the company, I may be a little biased just based <laughs> on the fact that uh, I, you know, Tim and I are, are very close and work together on a daily basis. Um, that being said, 
uh, I do subscribe to the, the Vector Flow um, fan club. Um, it's really, uh, I mean, it's a great catheter. It's a um, symmetrical tip catheter, which uh, it's you know it's different from the uh, the Canon or um, the one that we had been using here before, the ash split um, catheters, which are the split tip. Um, and really, uh, the, kind of the advantage of the symmetrical tip catheter is that you're able to reverse the lines uh, during the dialysis without really increasing uh, recirculation. Um, and that's, uh, the dialysis centers like doing that. Um, and, you know, the patient's still able to receive a good full session if you just have to uh, reverse the um, lines and uh, there are no significant issues there. The the reason I you know prefer to the other symmetrical tip catheters like the palindrome or the um, glide path from Bard is uh, it's really the tip like like Peter said um, the tip of these catheters is kind of where everything everything happens and as he um, already mentioned you know catheter tip is incredibly important if it's not in the right place you're going to get terrible flows so. Um, I agree 100% that you need to place the, the tip in the, the correct location. And once it's there, all these catheters have, you know, slightly different configurations uh, to the tip, um, which is really kind of what what makes it uh, the, the differences there. And the, uh, the vector flow, um, I'm not going to talk too much about, uh, you know, flow dynamics here, but it's really... Uh, it was designed to kind of optimize the fluid dynamics. Um, it uses helical flow uh, at the catheter tip. Uh, this kind of reduces platelet aggregation. It reminimizes that um, recirculation problem. It prevents uh, the catheter thrombosis, and its um, interve- intervention-free patency rate is really good. We actually looked at. We did a study um, looking at the vector flow versus the ash split, and at three months, the um, vector flow had an 89% intervention-free patency rate, whereas the ash split catheter had 45%. Um, so, you know, that's a sig- significant amount of uh, additional procedures that those patients had to undergo to, to fix the, uh, the, the malfunctioning catheter. And so, you know, our dialysis unit loves the vector flow. I think they're actually graded on, you know, how effectively they can perform dialysis through these catheters. So, you know, it's not um, it's not all about money, but their monetary reimbursement is based on that. So if they can have great dialysis through these catheters, they're all for it too. And they seem to all um, approve of the vector flow when, compared to the other catheters that some patients come in with. Now, one question I want to dig into, you were talking about tip positioning, and I mean, I've heard it said that, <clears throat> say, using the symmetric tip palindrome over the split tip cannon gets you around this tip positioning question, because, you know, with the split tip, you have to make sure, you have to worry about orientation. I mean, what do you guys, and, and that can take a little bit extra time, so I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear both your guys' thoughts on that, either or. Uh, I think that um, my use of the cannon is is just um, 
my experience in that when the Canon came out, uh, there was the Ash split, but there weren't any other catheters that had any um, unique tip configurations. The palindrome wasn't out yet. Certainly not the glide path or the vector flow were out. And in fact, excuse me, in fact, uh, when I came to Vanderbilt, most of the diocese catheters um, were the, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name, um, Tessio. They were uh, Tessio catheters, which are two 10 French silicone catheters that are placed. And um, when the dialysis units uh, started getting uh, the uh, Canon catheters that I was placing, they were amazed at how much better they were able to get their flows, how much longer the catheters lasted, um, et cetera. Uh, now, over the years, these symmetrical tip catheters have come about, and they largely have um, supplanted the need to worry about um, orientation of the tip. Now, when you say orientation of the tip, it really means um, where the two arterial on the venous ports how they are oriented within the vein. Uh, with the Canon catheter, you need to have the shorter arterial lumen pointed medially so that it doesn't suck up against the wall when they're trying to draw from it. Uh, when you have a symmetric tip catheter, you do not have to worry about that at all. And one thing that I found uh, early on and actually tried to do a study on, I tried to do a randomized control trial of split tip catheter versus symmetric tip catheter with the um, hypothesis that split-tip catheters worked better from the right side and symmetric-tip catheters worked better from the left side. And uh, it had to do with trying to um, arrange the split-tip around the corners of the left side. And what I found um, was that there really was not much difference at all between uh, the split-tip and the symmetric-tip from the right side, but that it did seem that the left side had an uh, improved flows with the um, symmetric tip. Unfortunately, we weren't able to enroll enough patients to really get a significant difference with that. Dr. Brannis, do you have anything to add there from your experience? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I um, agree that it is overall, it's easier to, you know, place these symmetrical tip catheters um, in a location where they get adequate flow. Um, we we kind of aim for mid-right atrium um, for the tip of the vector flow, uh, whereas, you know, if you have a, our other catheters, the ash split. So that one you really have to kind of bury the venous end, um, the inferior portion of the right atrium, and get to get the arterial uh, limb to get, to get decent flow. And... Kind of uh, the the biggest issue with the uh, the ash split is if that thing you know just gets pulled back a little bit that arterial um, the arterial limb gets pulled up into the SVC uh, and then you know they get really poor flows you start getting fibrin sheath uh, and that then they come in for you know catheter changes to get it back in the the correct position. In addition, we often get uh, patients who have you know, small right um, atria, and so it's really difficult to position these um, split-tip catheters in those patients. You know, 
they'll they'll modify it, whereas they'll cut the venous limb kind of short so that both limbs are you know closer together, uh, or at least you know the tips of both limbs end closer together so they can sort of still have a split tip and have it completely in the right atrium. Um, those patients are actually often sent to us to be, you know, changed over to the uh, vector flow because it's still, for uh, reasons we sh- shouldn't really get into, it's not really used at the, the main um, university hospital. It's up at uh, Presbyterian where, where I work predominantly that we use the, uh, the vector flow. And the main, the main hub still uses the ash split, but if they can't get the ash split to work, they send the patients to us for the vector flow. So switching gears a little bit, I mean, I, we know that um, <clears throat> we know that hygiene is really important in terms of longevity, the catheters and, and avoiding uh, in, infections. And we, we, we also know that, I mean, I think it's been said that, you know, on the one hand, it, it provided that you have good hygiene and you can get the tips in the right place, you know, a catheter is a catheter, right? But maybe that's the rub is, you know, uh, those two factors, you know, how, how often can you get those lined up? Um, and that's some of what we've been talking about. Um, have either of you guys ever used uh, the silver ion antimicrobial catheter? I think uh, Medtronic makes it for the palindrome, um, either, maybe for patients with recurrent infections, and, and would be interested to hear if you guys have used it, what your experience has been, and, and if you could even speculate a bit on whether for our audience, whether something like that could be worth the extra cost. I have some experience with using the, uh, um, the palindrome Ruby and the palindrome Emerald, which were, I'm not sure if they're still on the market, but they were initial catheters um, that uh, when palindrome was a Covidian product before they were bought by Medtronic, um, they marketed three different types of catheters, and the the uh, actually, I'm sorry, they had four different types of catheters. So they had the the regular, they had the emerald, which was heparin coated, they had the ruby, which had a antimicrobial um, impregnated catheter from the cuff to the hub, and then they had the sapphire, which was both. It had the um, uh, M- the heparin coating and the um, uh, antimicrobial coating. And okay. I would use these in patients um, like my femoral catheters, uh, a patient who seemed to ha- come back with a lot of infections. But I'm sure Aaron will back me up on this. There are patients who you place a catheter in and they come back time and time again with either, either fibrin sheaths or infections or some sort of complication. And they ju- it, it, it seems to be nothing other than the, the factors that are uh, inherent in that patient. There are other patients I have, and uh, I can name, you know, 15 if you'd like me to, but the one I have currently right now who I placed a translumbar catheter in, five years ago and she still dialyzes through that same catheter for the record i would not like you to name any patients um, uh no i'm, uh, I'm when i say patients, I'm not patients names but <laughs> i can joking. i can recall certain patients that you know they just do you remember the ones that do really really well and you remember the ones that do really really poorly 
And when I did my initial attempt at comparing catheters and trying to prove superiority um, of catheters, the patient factors are what end up causing problems because you need so many patients to be able to even out those patient factors. So I would agree wholeheartedly uh, that there are patient factors that that contribute to either the success or failure of these catheters, regardless of how good the catheter is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with Peter. Um, I actually, I haven't tried any of those uh, fancy sounding palindrome catheters um, and don't, don't really plan to in the, the future. I think it's more uh, just kind of the, the patients and their, just how they are. Um, and I don't think these, uh, you know, heparin coated or, uh, whatever silver, um, coated catheters are really going to play much, much role in, in decreasing the, the rate of fibrin sheath or infection. So to, to bring that to, uh, to, to kind of <clears throat> punctuate that point, I think what I'm hearing you guys say is definitely the other coatings, you don't see making an appreciable difference. And are you applying that to the silver ion antimicrobials as well? Or do you see that there's, you know, any, um, I mean, some have said that that stands out as like, Hey, you know, the other coatings haven't seen much, but the, the silver ion antimicrobial, I have seen some improvement in infection rates. Are you guys, am I hearing you agree with that point or really just saying it's, it's patient factors, largely the, the device isn't playing that much of a role. I will say that I've had I've had no experience using that. Um, our you know infection rate is is low. Uh, I and I I mean I just don't really see any yeah. kind of role in using that in the the near future for us. Yeah, I'm not aware of any strong data, um, either for or against. I look at it more from a global perspective. When um, several years ago, when we were tasked with reducing our overall catheter um, or line-associated b- bacterial infection rate or CLABC infection infection rate at the hospital, and one or two factors is not going to influence it. It needs to be a whole scale, like you said, with the cleanliness of the patient, the cleanliness of the dialysis center. Um, the uh, use of standard practices with washing hands, with uh, wearing uh, sterile gloves, um, all of these things all go into um, the uh, prevention of these infections. And just because you have a catheter that is less likely to get infected um, doesn't overpower all those other factors. Okay, so one more point on this as we as we start to wrap up here, um, and I think we talked about this. Have you guys seen any comments on performance of the catheters at dialysis? You know, features that improve flow rates, different behaviors among the brands that we've talked about today. That's a great question because I I often don't don't follow these. Uh, you know, you only hear about them when they're not working well. Right. And in doing um, uh, some some uh, investigation of these, I was pretty um, I, I was shocked to find out how much effort 
these dialysis nurses go through sometimes to get adequate dialysis. And um, it, it has made me appreciate placing the catheter better and being sensitive to those issues uh, because it really does make a big difference in these patients' lives if they can't dialyze and the travel to and from uh, to get things fixed. So, um, again, I think there are so many factors that go into this. Um, a lot of them are patient-specific that uh, if you can uh, stick to some very basic principles, as Aaron said about the tip location um, and uh, orientation of the catheter and things like that, then you're, you're going to do the best you can. And as long as you engage your dialysis partners, your nephrology friends, your um, access surgeons into a global group of people who are able to work for the patient, uh, all of those little factors will make a difference in the big run. Cool. Um, yeah, so, and I, I mean, ahead, Dr. Just, just quickly to say, I, I uh, completely agree. The I think the changes or the changes in flow and dialysis between the different you know catheters um, are minuscule as long as they're all positioned appropriately. Um, you know, if, if if one's in the upper SVC and the other one's in the right in the appropriate position in the mid right atrium. You're obviously going to get higher flow through whatever catheter's position appropriately. So, as Peter said, the most important thing is to you know work work with everybody to to place these um, in the the best manner you can, uh, and so the patient um, can get you know a good session of dialysis, and you minimize the number of times they need to return to you for catheter exchanges. Okay, so and, uh, I, oh, let, and just one just one more thing. We can't be remiss with saying that, of course, catheters should be the last uh, the the last option for doing dialysis. That um, we all should be working to figure out how we can get the fa- the catheter out of the patient uh, right. because it is the most um, costly and trouble ridden way to do dialysis. That's a great point. Um, For sure. Fistula first. Hashtag fistula first. Hashtag fistula first, everybody. (laughs) Hashtag Uh, catheter out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, we've covered a lot. Um, We we looked at the pros and cons of split tip versus symmetric catheters. Um, Retrograde and antegrade placement. And you talked a little bit about longevity and whether they're really... Um, whether any catheter was standing out and avoided infection or thrombosis and, you know, kind of put that one to bed that we feel like it's, it's really about the other patient conditions and talked about the performance of the catheter dialysis. Um, and most importantly, I have a new hashtag, which is uh, fistula first, hashtag fistula first, hashtag catheter out. Um, did, I, did I miss anything, guys? Oh, you know, this is such a large topic. We could talk all day about it, but I, I think that we really did a great job of of kind of highlighting um, two different practices and how uh, what's most important is to do what's best for the patient. You know, it really doesn't matter uh, what fancy technology to bring if you're not educating your patients, educating the people who are taking care of those patients so that we can all work together. Well said, Dr. Bream.
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you very much to our celebrity guests, Dr. Peter Bream and Dr. Aaron Brandis. Fellas, thanks so much for spending your afternoon with us here on the Backtable Podcast. Our audience appreciates it. And um, until next time, everybody, so long. Thanks for putting this together. This is awesome.